It's reporters assemble. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, you heard it. The sports reporters they've assembled. They're here, as they are every single Friday afternoon. Bob Silverman up there in New York City. Bob, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Good afternoon, Chase. I'm good, man. How are you? That is a lie. We were talking about your absence of a cellular oh, phone. Oh, we, oh, we're going to get into this right off the bat, huh? <laughs> no easing a toe into the waters. Yeah, my, my cell phone, I, I've held on to an iPhone 6 now for a really long time because, one, I'm comfortable with using the iPhone 6, and two, I am cheap and don't like spending money on things. So I have not bought a new phone since I last bought an iPhone 6. And uh, on Monday, it just died. It's off. It will not turn on no matter how much I coax it or, mm. or, or put a little blanket on it mm. or, or, or get on the phone with all manner of customer service reps and say, please fix my phone. Mm-hmm. Um, they basically just said, no, il est mort. Like that, that sucker's. <laughs> R.I.P. though, it's not coming back. And so I said, okay, fine. I will get off my ass and spend some of my sweet stimmy dollars on an upgraded phone. I even put a post on Twitter asking my hordes of devoted followers what kind of phone I should get. And they all, they, the consensus was the 2020 iPhone SE, which is in fact the same, much of the same functionality as the iPhone 6, so I won't have to have my my poor adult mind learn how to use a different phone, and but it'll have the speed processing ability and guts of a much more powerful device. And it's also relatively cheap. And so I said, yes, please, I will do that. And I went to purchase it from my provider, which prompt and paid for one to two day shipping because dear God, don't let me go without a phone for more than 24 hours. Uh, I, my provider neglected to notify me that one to two day shipping will arrive after the order has been processed by the facility, which can take up to 32 hours, 30, sorry, up to three days to actually process. What is the processing process? They don't know. They Hmm. can't say. And so I spent a lot of time on, on a phone with a different customer service rep saying in no uncertain terms, like, hey, don't you think it's your responsibility to inform a potential purchaser of this 72-hour possible waiting period prior to shipping so that I could say, go to an actual brick-and-mortar store and buy a phone and spend more money or switch providers to someone who can actually deliver it in 32 hours. Needless to say, they were not pleased with the full carroting of my comments. Never mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, full carroting. Uh, I went, I, I carried my ass off. Oh, oh did I ever. I, I asked to speak to supervisors, and then I asked to speak to the supervisor's supervisor. Um, it was bad. It was bad. It was, I really got, I got very mad. But in my defense, like the low-level anxiety that I've experienced all week, not having access to a phone has put me a little on edge. And so... I maybe indulged some very Karen-ish instincts because of that 
incredibly dumb first world problem of having uh, withdrawal symptoms and not having a phone and thinking, what if someone tried to contact me and I never found? What if they didn't email me or contact me on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or FaceTime? What if they were, they, they just didn't do that and someone somewhere was trying to contact me and I, I failed. So, in any case, new phone should be here at some point today. Andrew, how are you? <laughs> I'm, well, after that, it's kind of a freaking downgrade. Um, I'm, I'm good. It's Friday. I'm ready to get this thing going. Um, yeah. Uh, that is about it. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah, let's get this thing going. Um, do we have a You're the Worst or You're the Best in Sports Media award this week, guys? I don't, you know what? I don't know if we do in terms of, because basically Super Bowl week has kind of killed everybody's plans. And frankly, I'm very happy for it because we don't have... Uh, people trying to fire off hot takes because it's Super Bowl week mm-hmm. and 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 media people making it all about themselves, which is fantastic. Uh, yeah, like honestly, I'm okay with Super Bowl week being virtual from now on. <laughs> and, 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 and I say this in terms of players can actually focus on the game. Yeah, you're doing Zoom calls and all of that stuff, but... I've always hated Super Bowl media night because we make oh, this an awful. event and people it's who, pe- people who, and maybe this is just the beat writer in me, but people who are there with the team day in, day out. And all of a sudden it's people who just, it's, it's a group. It's a large group of media people, quote unquote, who just parachute in and kind of turn it into a spectacle. And, 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 it's just it's super annoying. I was there for the NBA's uh, the NBA All Star Game in 2015 when it was in New York, and I covered it for the Guardian. And I was there for media. It wasn't as extensive as Super Bowl Media Week, but it was a lower grade version of that, and it was just pointless. I think I filed like they were just like right about All Star Week at the Guardian. Like explain it to the Brits. Explain NBA All Star weekend to the Brits. And I was like, okay, which got me some press passes and that was cool. But like the scrums, yeah, and those are, they don't compare to an NFL Super Bowl week scrum, but it was still just very silly, pointless. It was bad. I have a, I have a media personality of the week though. Okay, I'm ready. Bob Nightingale, man. Oh! Covering himself in glory last night. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, okay, so I saw... I saw Ken Rosenthal. Uh, I saw his tweet, which was uh, Ken, buddy, not great. Uh, what did uh, What did Bob do? Bob posted around seven twenty that the Mets and Trevor Bauer had agreed to a contract. The Mets had signed Trevor Bauer. Ten minutes later, like Mark Fizand and a bunch of other scoopmeisters are like, "No, false. They have not." Which you know, fine. Look. People like Scoopmeisters get this stuff wrong sometimes, and Bob may still be proved right. He may actually, you know, maybe Mitz will sign Bauer, and he just let the cat out of the bag a little early. But um, the thing that Bob did that was so great <laughs> was he posted 
done deal. The other scoopmeisters, they actually know the, the offer from the Dodgers is still on the table. Or the Dodgers are being given a chance to match the Mets' best offer. Um, and then just Bob goes silent. Like, he has to see the replies where everyone is like, what the hell? Thomas Nito, Mets' former backup catcher, just posted WTF Bob. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually kind of funny. Yeah, it was really funny. <laughs> but, like, everyone is jumping into his range and saying, like, any mind pros? So, were you wrong? Are you standing by the story? Anything? Context? Has this changed? And he just kept, like, he spent, he got up about, like, seven more tweets that night posting about the Angels acquiring Dexter Fowler. And it's just like, no one cares about Dexter Fowler going to the Angels, man. What the hell, Bob? About Dexter Fowler since, like, 2017. Actually, yeah. you know, I do, I do have, I do have a media personality of the week, and it's actually a Bob. I think it actually might be funnier than yours. Go for it, John Clayton, <laughs> ESPN dumb. personality and uh, Seattle uh, resident. Uh, See, he, I'm done he, with he my was, segment. Mom thing was hilarious. He That's was. Awesome. Yes, um, I've, I've actually met him before. Very, very short, very, very skinny. I'm like, okay, so like when they call him the professor, like it's legitimately like he looks like a college professor who you'd see during office hours. Uh, I'm going to read a tweet. It looks like, uh, what's his name? Mackie from South Park. Oh, oh my, my God. God, he does. Yes. I cannot. Oh, no. I'm it, never going to be able to oh, unsee okay. that. So I can't, I can't read this in Mackie's voice, but I will say uh, John Clayton had a tweet a few days ago. I can't believe my wife and I can't watch the Super Bowl because uh, DirecTV and Cox TV can't reach a deal for Channel 7 in Seattle. That's the CBS affiliate. I've been to 45 Super Bowls, missing my first since 1983. Low cast has problems connecting. I am in the Hall of Fame. DirecTV is shutting <laughs> us out. Uh, yeah. Little fella's pissed. All I got to say is, fam. YouTube TV is your friend. Cut the cord. Free yourself, Johnny boy. Mm. Mm. A lot of, a lot okay. of old guys getting mad and wrong <laughs> online. Um, People get mad online, man. It's, it's a it's terrible true. thing. Um, my uh, just bad media award goes to... Um, you're not going to believe this, folks. You're not going to believe this. The, the, the Karen stuff did not go well. Uh, for people on both sides with the LeBron and the Atlanta. Oh, is this is this the, the McFish guy? <laughs> the, McDonald's? The, the guy who ordered the McFish at 10 a.m. Wait, is that what he does? This was the guy who posted not not being able to get a fish sandwich from McDonald's at 10 o'clock in the morning. Wait, her husband like, who like was the, the steroid guy. That? <laughs> is that Wait, a thing? I didn't even see that part of it. An anchor for Newsmax. Oh, posted, posted a very angry shot, like featuring like the outside a photo of the outside of the McDonald's, which he spelled M A C D O A D O N A L D S for some reason in all caps, and he was like getting very mad about the fact that he couldn't order a filet fish, but he called it a mixed fish <laughs> at 10 a.m. Everyone was like, "Dude, you got to wait like a half an hour the whole breakfast." And lunch meal thing. That's that's um, that's like a tw- that's like a twenty. That was in an Adam Sandler movie twenty five years ago. It's an old complaint. Yes, Big Daddy. Yeah. Um, so 
you're and he's like, and then I tried to see the manager and he wouldn't see me. And it's like, dude, you're starting off day. You you're jonesing for a filet of fish at ten in the morning. That it was that's, that's really a, that's, a call, that's a cry for help. <laughs> it really is. Like, look, don't get me wrong. It's a fine, crunchy, vaguely fishy tasting sandwich, but don't post about it, man. What's no. yours? What's your what's your uh, posting horror story, Chase? It's, I saw this, and it was like when I when I saw it happened, and I watched this game because I don't watch a lot of these games live, and I was rewatching it in the morning, and I didn't know what happened with. The, the angry Karen getting mad at LeBron and defending her husband or whatever. Oh, yeah. And I was following it, and it, it's just weird. Like, I, I could tell that this was just, like, not going to go well. We're like, you're not going to believe this, guys. But there are going to be some bad faith arguments on both sides about this. And <laughs> that is what happened, where um, I got certain people in my life who I know don't like LeBron were like, what was he? Why was he yelling at that woman? And that LeBron is mentally soft for letting a woman and all this stuff get under his skin, uh, and fans get under his skin because he complained about not having fans back, and then they get at him, and he gets upset about it. And I was like, "Yep, that sounds about right for that group of people." And then the other people were like, "LeBron is awesome for this," and the Karen, it's like the the cringe stuff of when he was quoting like Karen was big mad and just all like LeBron, 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 that's my go, blah 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 blah. And I was like, I hate this discourse already. I don't want to... I just want this to go away. This is awful on both sides. And then I saw that uh, everyone's favorite, El Prez, got involved. And the Barstool stuff got involved. And I was like, no, 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 no. We don't do this. And then all, uh, <sighs> where it's like this, you like just def- defending who we thought they were going to defend. And I was not... Hold on, hold on. You mean... A skinny white dude who not so secretly has beef with black celebrities yeah. defended a loudmouth white girl. I for a twenty-five-year-old white girl, shot. by the way, who is well, not yeah, twenty-five. Yeah. That is still the biggest well, development a, of this full, whole thing. That's a full-grown woman. Like, I'm sorry, she should know better. But well, Chase, what I'm saying continue. is, she's not twenty-five. Like that. No, look, no, when she said she's all. twenty-five, there's no way that's true. There's well, no hey, way. Here's here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. Not though. to be very it's catty, you. but she's clearly had some work done. Mm-hmm. That. That and it's one of those. I'm 25, but I spent 18 through 23 living hard <laughs> and partying hard. Um, but no, Chase, continue to kind of con- continue to go on. Then I have a take on uh, on on that whole incident. I. I mean, my take is that, like, this is embarrassing. I don't understand how people still act like this in a public setting. Like, I would get up and leave if someone I was with acted this way or shouted at an athlete in this way. And it's just, like, it's embarrassing. Like, it's not something a a mature adult person should engage in. It's just weird. And also his, like, weird obsession with LeBron. Like, if you look at his Instagram posts for the last several years, whenever he's had an opportunity to take a shot at LeBron, he has. Um, It's just weird these weird people online that just has been our trend on our podcast today, older people just being weird online. And I, I don't know. I don't really get it. And I also don't really like that LeBron went back. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, yeah. LeBron is, look, 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 it's, it's a dumb kerfuffle, but I think yeah. people can say like, like, look, whatever she said, it was not cool. You have an absolute right to tell her to fuck off. 
in the heat of game action, yeah. and that's kind of fine. Don't post about it, man. No. LeBron is but LeBron is terminally online, too. Well, it's not no, there's Kevin terminally Durant online. Stuff. Kevin Durant is like, terminally LeBron, online. I don't think LeBron's terminally LeBron online. Will, is, 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 it, it's kind of comforting that LeBron is insanely wealthy, and yet even he cannot stop posting. Yeah. And so it makes me feel less bad about me not being able to stop posting. Because, I mean, part of me thinks, like, well, if I were a man of of, of his means, uh, I would simply go to an island in the South Pacific and not post anymore. But clearly that's not the case. That's a giant lie. Because every rich dude who has been gotten a taste of this devil's concoction can't stop themselves either. So... No. I just don't... I don't know. I just, I wish he's bigger. Like LeBron, you're bigger than this. Don't let these just people get on on your skin. Okay. So here's, here's my, my whole take on this. Um, I'm trying to be nice about this. Okay. So I get the whole thing about LeBron, you know, LeBron don't react. LeBron don't react. I totally get it. In some ways it's kind of valid. However, to me, I look at it for these athletes. You're in, like, we're in their place of business. Um, we're, 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 we're essentially in their place of business. You know, this is how they operate. This is what they do. And for me, it's, it, th- there's a respect level that, that comes with it. And, and, when you're sitting here, you know, kind of going, especially when you're on the court and there's nobody there. And I'm sorry, fans should not be sitting courtside at this point. Uh, so that's one thing I have beef with the NBA on. But if you're going to sit here and badmouth guys and, and do all of this like that's that's something I have beef with. Um, so, to me, it's all about respecting them in their place of business and don't look. I'm all for athletes kind of essentially, you know, doing what they have to do. But if fans are sitting here, you know, just kind of, uh, you know, bashing them and kind of going off and all of this stuff, that's where I have issues with. So I have no problem with LeBron going back at dude uh the issue for me is the fans automatically turning this into a good guy bad guy situation yes. when clearly uh when, when when clearly everybody could see that it was those two that were kind of just you know acting an ass i mean that's that's basically what that was and you know, it could not, it could not be, you know, it could not be a problem. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't have a problem with what LeBron did. People are going to react anyway because people hate LeBron. And yes. the people that hate him hate him and the people that don't don't. And it never right. ends like it just never changes like the and, LeBron and, Jordan thing. It's never well, going to change. It's and it's never going to change. But my the, the thing that I have the problem with the most is we're gonna we're gonna sit here and defend people like 
I'm sorry, I can't defend fan behavior anyway. Like, like if, if, if I'm just embarrassed. I think you and I are the same, Andrew. Like, I, I think if we were at this game and we saw this happening, we're just, like, shielding our eyes because it's just, this is some embarrassing, awful behavior. We're like, it's, what It's, it's embarrassing and awful behavior, and she's sitting there like a freaking real housewife of Cobb County, <laughs> and... She's sitting there, you know, just yelling at LeBron, and then she starts crying because she said LeBron made her cry. And then the like, not even twenty four, even twelve hours later, she's like, "I'm sorry, I was, I was in the wrong." And it's like, yeah, we, we know, like we, yeah, we saw, we saw that you were wrong. So it's like everybody jumping to her defense, partly because you're telling on they, yourself. Yes. Yes, and that's the thing that pisses me off. And one, it fans should not be there. I'm sorry. Like that is one of the main reasons why I do not want fans in the stands right now. Because one, these people, there's this entitled and spoiled attitude when it comes to viewing a sporting event and the proximity that you have that you can just yell and talk trash and like it's cute and it's adorable. It can be cute, adorable, and fun, but if you're just essentially being an asshole about it, that's not a good look. Oh, and by the way, there's more cameras at these things. It's not like they can't hear you. Um, yeah, so, like, it's – there's a time and a place. I have no problem with how LeBron reacted. Uh, I thought LeBron, was, you know, talking trash about the dude was actually kind of hilarious. Because a Sarah ass is objectively does, hilarious. Oh, and that's the thing. It's like, and also, if Savannah was there, I saw someone post about that. Like, if Savannah had been like over, like how this would have played out, and that would have been uh, right. Well, and here's the thing, and that's that's uh, that's another thing that I kind of got issues with. It's like everybody automatically acts like Savannah. It, like it's it's that angry black woman trope that yeah. I is very uncomfortable. Right. Um, because even if Savannah was there, uh, she's a very classy lady. Yes. And uh, she knows how to act in public. Well, I just wonder so... if it's more of, like, looking at her of, like, what are oh, you doing? Oh, for sure. I'm sure. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it would be. But, yeah, no, it's... The, the it's almost like a Twitter there, troll, right? You see it in, like, yes. you wouldn't talk to someone like that in real life, but because and they're playing a game, you just think and that that's, you can... Yeah. And that's the issue that I have with fans... At sporting events all the time. Because, I mean, hell, we have an athlete or we have a team or we have somebody who in sports that we just particularly do not like. Mm-hmm. And there's a difference between saying, you know what, you know, I may not like him. For Andrew, I'll, it's, I'll, it's uh, Russell Wilson. Hates him. He hates him. I respect the athletes in their space because a coach, a coach and a player actually told me this one time. You know, this is our place of business. This is how we operate. And am I going to go into your job and basically just heckle the hell out of you? No. But if you want me to, if, if I can do that to you, that gives me all the right in the world to do that to you. So uh, fans should not be there. Uh, she clearly was in the wrong. And yeah, anybody defending her, you're definitely telling on yourself. And I don't. 
I, I won't fool with you if you if you quickly jumped to her side, but then got super quiet when she when she basically admitted, "Oh yeah, I was being an asshole." Um, it's time for our CFB minute. Uh, Bob, you're oh, gonna God. love this. Oh, Here, God. you got thirty seconds to a minute on EA Sports coming back because as a non gamer and seeing the reaction <laughs> of all the people that are gonna buy a system when this game comes back, what was your response? Because I saw your your videos getting the Oregon gear on to get ready to coach your dynasty team, Andrew. Go. Oh hell yeah. Um okay, so I'm excited about it not being an NCAA football related game. I think there's a lot of things you can do with that. Uh the worry I have is if it is going to be just like Madden. Holy crap, are people going to hate it? Because <laughs> Madden is ass. Whoa. Madden is ass. <laughs> that, my friend, is a bold statement. Um, Bob, when's the last... Uh, I'm sorry, I've seen Tecmo more Bowl Madden glitches. Let's just get this out of the way. Nothing since Tecmo Bowl. Are you serious? Madden glitches are a thing. Like, Madden glitches going viral is not a great look. That's funny to me, because I don't play Madden. Um, Well, we're on deadline, guys. Um, Yeah, we are. Bob, what can we check out from you this week on the Daily Beast? Uh, I've got a story coming up, uh, which I should hopefully finish (laughs) within the next three to four hours, uh, about Tom Brady. Mm. Um, that'll be a probably early Saturday morning, but I have I have some thoughts on Tom Brady and Super Bowl weekend. I know it's it's a it's a real wild out there topic. Okay, seems topical. Seems topical. Andrew, what about you? What can we check out? Is the the new co-host for Into the Archives been revealed yet or no? Uh, no, probably next week. Uh, <laughs> I've been super busy the last like week or so. so. Um, yeah, so no, no no co-host yet, but I've narrowed it down to four candidates. Okay. I like it. I like it. What can we check out from you, though? What what can what can the listeners check out from you this week? Absolutely nothing because it's, <laughs> I've, I've I've no no no. And like, no I'm not trying to like be a jerk. Oh, I love Andrew I mean, so much. There's a, there's a few projects coming down the pipe, but I can't really say anything right now. Um, and yeah, just like I've been stuck on state news that nobody like would be relevant to maybe five percent of your audience and even then it's it's like oh all right yay <laughs> I think it's important to me it's important to me too we're we're a team we're we're the ct podcast family sorry that should be respectful <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. No, nothing uh, nothing fun uh, this week, but perhaps next week. All right. Well, that's all I've got for that guy up there in the Northeast, Bob Silverman, uh, for that guy up there. It, update, as we were discussing Larkin mm-hmm. Jam, my new phone. Oh, you love so, it. It's a, it's a heartwarming tale of redemption today. On the I love that it ended on, like, you got it as we were wrapping up here. I love that it uh, happened on this podcast, Bob. I'm it's, glad we got to share it together. It's, 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 the, the, it's the true spirit of Christmas. <laughs> or, um, um, it's, the, 
it, there you go there you go um but guys thank you as always go check out chasehomespodcast.com for all the access to all my articles and all of my pieces uh go follow aham on twitter aham tnt and then follow bob at bob sayetta and then follow myself at chase underscore thomas and uh leave this this show this very show if you're listening on your iphone leave it a five-star rating and a review andrew and bob would love nothing more this weekend than to see some new ratings and reviews on the podcast Guys, thank you as always, and we'll be back next week. All right, we're back on a still kind of mostly unnamed uh, edition of the Atlanta sports-centric portion of our Friday show on the Chase Thomas podcast. Guys, have we figured out what we are going to call this thing? Because... I cannot keep saying ATL Shoddy with the hashtag. I can't keep doing it. It's it's too much for me. Garrett, what do you think? I don't know, man. I, I'm not the creative. Man. It's not the best thing for me to come up with. I'm not sure. Max, I'm, you're I'm up. still thinking. <laughs> it's your ship. We're just we're just on board. You're you're the one running it. I I'm tired of running stuff, man. I run everything. I run everything. I need an intern. Y'all need that. That's their next thing. Is we need to find an intern in Atlanta somewhere. Intern in Atlanta or Knoxville. That's what I need. That sounds like a plan. I think so. <laughs> Just push it on so. the intern. That's always that's, that's always the best way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> what could be better to jumpstart your sports media career than interning on the Chase Notes podcast? I mean, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be able to come up with something better. But uh, if you are looking to be an intern and, uh, you know, think of things creatively for this very podcast email me at chase podcast at gmail um but those guys you just heard garrett chapman down there at 99 the game max markovich up there in ann arbor are you still in ann arbor or are you back locally in atlanta max i'm actually back in atlanta yeah i wasn't i wasn't gonna correct you the first time but i am out of the tundra of ann arbor and down to a beautiful 60 degree atlanta okay well both of you are down there and that's just nonsense so <laughs> i don't like either of it but uh there's nothing i can do um not a good week for the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, Trey Young obviously missing uh, yesterday against the Jazz. They lose both games to the Mavs and the Jazz. Uh, Max, what did you see from the Hawks in the last two outings? Mm, there's a lot there. I mean, I mean, I don't know. I think you got to start with DeAndre Hunter being out, right? I mean, I think we, we really saw how important he is to this team. Um, and, and I think arguably the second most valuable player on the team right now. Um, and so when you lose him, um, and then obviously when you lose Trey, uh, there's not much hope of beating a red-hot Jazz team, right? Um, I, I think, you know, maybe we should get into a Cam Reddish discussion at some point because um, I keep waiting for him to turn, turn it around. Um, but, but I think first and foremost, it's, it's still frustrating that, um, you know, with Chris Dunn out, DeAndre Hunter out, uh, Yeka Kongu now out, um, Bogdan Bogdanovich out, all these guys who have missed time, you really just have not seen the Hawks at full strength yet. And so, you know, they go through these peaks and valleys, and I'm just waiting for, for what I think to be real. Garrett, what do you think? Well, I mean, Max hit it on the head. I mean, like, the biggest thing is continuity, or really the lack thereof. I mean, the Atlanta Hawks are, from what we've seen, can be a good basketball team. Uh, but we've also seen them be the complete opposite of that. And, that. and they were on full display when they took on the Mavs yesterday, or well, I guess now two days ago. Um, and, and like Max was saying, I mean, the DeAndre Hunter absence loomed very large, especially in those first two games. I think he would have made a tremendous impact uh, in both of those. I mean, when, you, when 
Cam Reddish was he did an admirable job guarding LeBron James, but he just absolutely disappeared on the offensive side of the court, and I don't think DeAndre Hunter necessarily would have done that. Um, and then again, he, it, the Luka Doncic, I think he would have matched up very well against Luka Doncic, um, but obviously he wasn't there. And then last night, obviously Trey Young wasn't there, and they had their worst offensive game of the season. Uh, and I think it was way, way, way bad. I'm trying to see if I, if I have the stats on it. I mean, I think uh, – no, I don't say it, but but it was just a, it was a terrible statistical game for the Atlanta Hawks and Rajon Rondo. My goodness, I mean the the guy has been absolutely terrible from the field. <laughs> he's missed his last, he's o of eleven in the last two games. That was our starting point guard last night. And that there's just absolutely no excuse for that. I think he missed seven shots last night. He's just not getting it done. And maybe playoff Rondo will turn it around and like will be the guy that he always has been in the playoffs. Uh, but at this point. Let's just hope that we can make the playoffs. I think at the very least we'll be fine for the play-in game, and I don't think Trey is going to be out for a while. Um, it is interesting because Chris Kirshner of The Athletic, friend of the pod, um, had a really good piece about this as being year three, and the minutes without Trey are still abysmal. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff there. And I go back and forth on this because I think when you look at the usage, I think Trey's usage this year is like 37% or something per cleaning glass um, last I checked. Um, the disparity between what he does on offense versus what everybody else does is still entirely out of whack. And like, I think one of the things that Schlink and this group sold fans on this year was that with these additions with the veterans, that Trey's role would start to go down and his usage would start to go down and he would have to put the ball in hands. And that part of the reason that Trey and these offenses have fallen apart when he's not uh, in the game is that... Um, they're just not good and they're young and Trey has to do so much so that when he's not on the court, these guys are inexperienced. They have no chemistry and they just are asked to do things that they're not asked to do when Trey's on the court. Um, I think there's still a little bit of that, but I do start to wonder if it's starting to wear on guys of just his usage being so high in that part of the problem. And this, I think ultimately falls on Lloyd Pierce is letting Trey become such a vocal point where when he's not around after three years, like building your offense in this way, I don't know if you can fix it. It doesn't matter if it's Rondo, Chris Dunn, Bogdan. It doesn't matter to me because I think ultimately they are still going to struggle without Trey because he does so much when he's in the game that they just don't have the reps um, without it. And uh, I, I don't see that changing. Uh, Garrett, what do you think? Well, I mean, uh, exactly what you're saying. It was highlighted against the Mavericks. Um, and it, it, once they started the fourth quarter, Trey Young was on the bench. The Mavs were on a 16-0 run. It was just, that's just absurd. I mean, like, you can't let something like that happen, especially in a ball game that you need to be winning. They were winning most of that game. And they probably should have won the game regardless of that 16-0 run. But which it's just the Hawks don't seemingly forget how to play basketball once you get to the fourth quarter right at that, that end of the third, start of the fourth. And I think the biggest key in that is what you just touched on, is that Trey Young is not on the floor. Or at the end of the third quarter, he's played so many uh, subsequent minutes that he's just exhausted. And so he's trying to pass, get the ball off or, or whatever. Um, but they need other options. And, and I think DeAndre Hunter was stepping up into that role Uh but mostly these guys just need to come back from injury. I mean, that's the biggest thing because I don't think we've se- we've never seen a full-strength Hawks basketball team. And I, I don't think we will until post-All-Star break. 
um, depending on what Bogdan Bogdanovich actually does with his health-wise. Um, but this team has to get better. Everybody not named Trey. And whether they get better or they just get healthy. Max, what do you think? Yeah, it's so frustrating because um, <clears throat> we touched on Rondo, but this is why you get Rondo, right? This is why you go get Rondo is so that when Trey sits out the first three minutes of the fourth quarter against the Lakers, you don't get absolutely blitzed and lose the game right then and there. Um, and Rondo just hasn't been that. He, he hasn't been able to create offense um, or keep the offense afloat while Trey's out. Um, and I don't know whether to – I guess I don't know, exa- know exactly where to pin that, right? Is that on Rondo for falling off a cliff? Is that on Lloyd Pierce for not being able to adapt the offense without Trey? Is that on Trey for beco- a little bit for becoming, um, you know, sort of all the rumblings we heard about from John Collins early in the year about um, all, the whole offense going through Trey? I don't know. Um, and, and I think, you know, that's also why you get Bogdan Bogdanovich, too. I mean, he's a guy who can create offense on his own. Um, and he can keep an offense afloat when Trey, who is um, one of the best offensive creators in the league, um, is not on the court. And so it's another thing where I'm, I'm going to hold off on sort of a hot takey um, type of deal until we see this team at full strength and see what it actually wants to be. Um, but it's certainly not encouraging from a Rondo perspective, I can say that. Yeah, I think Rondo shouldn't be in the rotation. And I think the reason he's in the rotation right now in the regular season is because of the injuries. And I think ultimately when Bogdan comes back and when they get a little bit healthier there, that um, to start the fourth, it should be Bogdan and Herter running the four, running just the lead ball handling duties and Rondo just not being a factor there because the offense just can't work. Like his um, points per shot attempt per cleaning the glass per 100 attempts, Rondo is 76.5. In comparison, <laughs> uh, Trey Young is 119.2. So those minutes where Rondo, whose assist percentage is still high and right there at Trey, so Rondo is 38.1%, uh, Trey is 41. He's doing the passing element of what Trey is doing when he's off the court, but the scoring just falls off a cliff and then they go on the run and that's it. Um, I also think it's partly because the Hawks don't have the shooting that I think people might think they have. And Rondo being a good passer is great and all, but like it's not like he's dishing to a bunch of sharpshooters. Like we still have a lot of league average or below league average shooters surrounding Trey in this group. And I I think that's a concern. And we'll see what happens. But the the highlight of DeAndre Hunter and I think missing him is huge and I think he's been better than Cam this year. But like their usage is almost identical. Um, DeAndre is accounting for 18.2% of his possessions on offense, and Cam Reddish is 189 slightly higher. Um, it's still the Trey show, and Danilo is actually getting a lot more um, attempts, and he's kind of more of a high, like, just kind of an offensive force than I thought he would be um, with this group in 166 minutes. Like, his usage is 24%, which is about where you want it, but I don't know. I think this is something that we're going to have to continue to monitor, and I think... If the Hawks want to get out of the middle ground, they're going to have to A, get healthy, but also B, get that usage from Trey down more. Like, it just has to start to fall, and it has to increase on Cam. It has to increase on John Collins. It has to increase on DeAndre Hunter. Um, it has to definitely increase on Bogdan, who is at, like, 17.7%. Like, that's just insane. Like, you don't – why pay Bogdan if you're not going to let him do the kind of stuff he needs to do? But he's only played 211 minutes, so he's been hurt, and you need him back. So – I think getting healthy will solve a lot of this, but I am right there with you. And it's also like not that surprising that Rondo has been bad in the regular season, right? Like he's playoff Rondo for a reason. So those minutes going to die with him, whether it's him, Jeff Teague, or whoever, 
we should have expected this, right, Max? Yeah, I mean, Ronda's – I guess you could say that, but it's also like he's been next-level bad this year. I mean, he's shooting 35% from the field, averaging three-and-a-half points a game. Um, he shot 42% from the field last year. You know, it's it's marginal, but you thought he could sort of come in and, and run a competent offense, and I agree with you, he shouldn't be in the rotation. Um, one thing I, I did want to point out um, and, and just sort of highlight because we talked about John Collins quite negatively um, last week is I, I think his ability to be a secondary scorer has become really, really important at, at this point um, without sort of secondary creators as we talked about. And, and I think all of the conversation around John Collins has to come around the contract, the contract, the contract, will he get paid? Will the Hawks trade him, all of that. Um, and it sort of belies that he's still a really good basketball player who I think is, is also kind of become an underrated defender. So I just kind of wanted to, to shoehorn that in. And, and I think you saw that against uh, the Mavericks when, when they blitzed Trey on the double teams. Um, and, and Collins had, what, 35 and 17 or something. Um, yeah. yeah and, and, you know, it's all kind of a mess, right? It's all these individual pieces, and some of them are working, and some of them are injured, and some of them aren't. Um, and we just don't know long-term what it looks like Garrett what do you think well I mean I, I don't necessarily completely agree that Rajon Rondo needs to be taken out of the rotation because I, I mean he's still that veteran savvy player who's, who's going to come in and, and and be a leader on that offense or at least you hope so um, he hasn't been that as of late um, especially especially in the last two games I mean he played 28 minutes yesterday and scored zero points and it's the second consecutive game that he scored zero points um but as a as a playmaker, as a distributor of the basketball, you need him out there. Um, but I think it's just the the rest of the offense just needs to come together because he's never been necessarily a, a, a he doesn't score points that he hasn't done that really since he was in Boston. I mean that that's that's just never been his thing. Um, but he's going to come in and he's going to distribute the basketball, and that's what the Hawks need him to do. But on the same note, the Hawks need to hit the shots. You know so. And I think that a lot of that stuff comes with just increased cohesion. I mean, they played now, what, 25 games, something like that? Something in the realm of that. Of that. So, I mean, just it, it, it just takes time. And he's missed a, a number of games to this point. So uh, I think the Hawks just need to continue to just not necessarily beat their head against the wall with this, but they just need to continue to let him get out, go out there and get some minutes. Um, but if, if we reach half, the halfway point in the season and it's still this bad, at least on the offensive end, then I think that at that point, then we can start addressing whether, whether or not he needs to be taken out of the rotation. Interesting. Max, what do you think? Would you take him out? <laughs> would I take him out? Um, you know, I do think Brandon Goodwin would be um, an upgrade right now. Um, you know, mm. there's a question of like, do you, you take Rondo out um, and what does that do to sort of, team chemistry and psyche of Rondo and how important is that in the long run, yada, yada, yada. I don't know the answer to those questions because I'm not sort of in the locker room every day. I don't know if it's like all that important of a question because I don't think, um, like it's not going to move the needle all that much. And we still, I still just want to wait and see because the secondary scoring is really what I'm most concerned about. And that isn't going to come from him regardless. I mean, that's going to come from Hunter coming back, Bogdanovich coming back. Um, you know, and maybe you have this discussion if and when Chris Dunn ever, you know, shows up. Um, but I don't know. I think I probably would see what Brandon Goodwin can give you. Um, but I'm not like banging the table for it, I guess. Yeah. Um, my hottest of hot takes that I 
just I'm still hesitant to to throw out there is that um, Trey like missing a month and a half would doom our season. It would doom the chances of the Hawks making the playoffs, but it would also be one of the best things for DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish and maybe John Collins <laughs> that like part of me wants the offense to like deal without Trey for a couple months and just see like everyone else be healthy and just try and work it out and Lloyd Pierce have to let DeAndre Hunter bring the ball up a bunch let Cam Reddish bring the ball up a bunch and like get some meaningful NBA reps as a point forward and leading the offense doing high pick and rolls coming off pin down stuff like that that they are just not doing with Trey on the court like part of me really thinks that there's and this is something that I've talked with guys around the league and Jonathan Sharks or the ringer about this where like Trey just he there's so much oxygen that he sucks up and he is so good and when he is on he is on and what he did the wolves a few games back was just insane and he has those moments so it's like this is why you do that and you have that incubator for him but it's at the expense of the guy that you traded up for in the lottery it's at the expense of the guy who also plays a gigantic role in whether or not you end up winning the luca trade um you have to develop all of them and you have to give them reps and the only way for them to get out of that 18% usage rate, which is just awful for lottery picks, is you have to take the ball out of Trey's hands. And I just think if he's healthy, that ship has sailed of taking the ball out of Trey's hands. Is that fair, Garrett? Uh, yeah, I mean, losing Trey Young for a month and a half sounds like an absolute nightmare. But I know, I mean, I Hawks fans, I'm the, sorry. The I'm not still... saying I'm rooting for oh. injury. I'm. Let me be clear. I am not rooting for that. Oh, man. <laughs> It's going to shiver up my spine as soon mm-hmm. as I heard you say that. <laughs> no, I mean, but I mean, I guess you did find the silver lining if that were to happen. And if it were to happen, obviously, like the, you would have increased usage with a lot of these other other guys, and perhaps you would see what they're worth. I mean, you see what you can get out of them. Um, I, I don't even want to think about that. But I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, Trey Young does dominate the basketball. I mean, John Collins brought that up. A couple a couple weeks ago, and then that blew up Hawks Twitter. Um, but I mean, anybody who's who's watching this team, they they know that Trey Young is going to dominate the basketball. Um, uh, and whether or not that makes the Hawks a better basketball team or a worse basketball team, like you said, depends on the night. Because he can be frustratingly hot and cold. Sometimes he takes those really deep shots and then just groan, and then he makes it every now and then. <laughs> and it's like, oh, wow, that's incredible. And, and it's, a, it's a nice highlight reel. But at the same time, it's, that's a low percentage shot. It's early in the shot clock. Why are you doing that? Let's jump into the offense. Let's see what we can do, get the ball moving. And that's by far and away the most frustrating thing that I see with this Hawks team, especially this year. Last year, I understand it a lot more. This year, there is, even, even with the amount of people that we have healthy, there's enough talent on this team that you need to be getting the ball and spreading it around. Um, and I think that's not as much on Trey as it is on Lloyd Pierce. And I'm going to lay that at his feet because this is his offense. This is his team. He needs to be pushing Trey to distribute the basketball. And, I mean, I just haven't seen that out of Lloyd Pierce. I haven't seen effectiveness out of timeouts. I haven't seen effective play calls. I haven't seen anything from Lloyd Pierce to give me confidence in his ability to get this offense running the way it needs to be running. I think that's fair. Um the Braves. David Bryan uh, tweeted out today a poll whether or not he thinks that whether or not fans think the Braves will re-sign uh, Marcel Ozuna. Um, there's been conflicting reports as to whether or not he's waiting based on the NL. The NL just adopting a DH this season, which I still fingers crossed hope happens, but I don't think they will. Um, Max, do you think the Braves will be bringing back Marcel Ozuna? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of seems like that's the, uh, the direction that the steam's picking up. Um, and, and it does, you know, as time goes on, it continues to feel like this holding pattern that eventually gets resolved um, with both sides realizing it's in the best interest. And I don't know sort of what the terms of that look like, but Braves really need uh, a guy in the middle of the order like Ozuna. Uh, they obviously know Ozuna. Um, Ozuna's, whole, you know, waiting. And as, as, I don't know. I think it's just one of those things that um, throughout the offseason, maybe he was holding out for a bigger deal. The Braves had their number. They stuck to their number. And at, at a certain point, he'll just sort of take that number. Um, and I, I think it'd be for the best for, for both parties. Um, and I hope it happens. Garrett, what do you think? Uh, I think I think Marcel Lazuna is going to be coming back. I mean, I think Marcel Lazuna wants to play here in Atlanta, and if he didn't love his time here in Atlanta, I think he would already be somewhere else. He was that talented. He had that good of a season last year. He could command that much money. Um, and I'm not sure if you guys saw this. John Morassi actually just tweeted that the Atlanta Braves are the favorites to sign him. Oh, uh, not the Rays, okay. not anybody else. But yes, he tweeted that out about 10 o'clock this morning or something. Um, so I would honestly expect the Atlanta Braves to go out and resign because most of the big bats are off the market now. After Real Muto resigned, uh, LeMahieu resigned. Uh, not that the Braves were going to go get those guys per se, but those big bats aren't an option anymore. And here we are what, two weeks, one week, really, depending on, on how this arbitration works with the MLB and the Players Association, from pitchers and catchers reporting to spring training. And we still don't know who's going to be protecting Freddie Freeman in the lineup. It needs to be Marcelo Zuna because he already has that cohesion with the mm-hmm. locker room. Uh, and regardless of whether or not they bring back the designated hitter, I firmly believe that he needs to be the left fielder because we signed him last offseason not expecting to have a designated hitter. He just flourished in that role, and then now everyone's like, okay, well, no, yeah, well, the only way we're going to sign him is if we, if we bring back the designated hitter. Well, we didn't do that last year. We signed him to be our everyday left fielder. So the Braves were clearly comfortable enough to do that last year. I don't know what's stopping them necessarily from doing it this year, and like Max was saying, it probably has a lot to do with the number of years on a contract and what that dollar amount is, which obviously we won't know because we're not in those negotiations, but I think the Braves would be absolutely foolish not to go back and re-sign Marcelo Zuna. We need the protection in the lineup. His presence there just makes this offense that much more potent. And honestly, if, if we don't re-sign him, what are we doing? What are we going to do in left field? I, I really have absolutely no idea because I don't know if Pache is necessarily ready to be an everyday center fielder or, or left fielder um, and to come in and play that role, depending on what you want to do with Ender and Ciarte. Um, so we need that left fielder. And I think he's going to produce far more runs than he's going to let up on defense. So the Braves need to go get this deal done as soon as possible. I agree. I just think the Braves are, (laughs) this is what the Braves are doing. And this is something you have to become, um, you kind of have to just accept it. Like this is how the Braves do business with Alex Anthopoulos in this ownership group. Um, I don't think it'll be multiple years if they sign Ozuna. It'll be another one year big contract thing. I would be stunned if they gave him multiple years. But, I also don't think that's enough. Like, I, I keep looking around. I don't know if people are noticing that the Mets are competent now outside of the off-the-field stuff, which is just unbelievably tone-deaf and awful. But, like, in terms of baseball terms, like, they might just end up with Trevor Bauer today. And you look at their rotation. You look at their lineup. You look at what went wrong for them last year. I mean, they still were right there with the Braves in offense. Um, we love their pitching. They have a good bullpen. Um, the Phillies are having a quietly solid offseason. You have the Nationals signing a bunch of vets. They're going to be back. I don't think they'll be as bad as they were a year ago. 
The Padres are absolutely going for it, and they're much better than they were a year ago. The Dodgers will be just as good and dominant as they were a year ago. Um, the Cardinals just traded for Nolan Arenado. I I think the the Braves are just like kind of being a little too stand backish. With I I don't think it's enough. Obviously, I don't want Christian Pache as an everyday player in 2021. I also just would sign Marcelo Zuna, but I would still trade for Trey Mancini. I would still keep adding bats. Like I've seen this sentiment a lot in the last few weeks of just like the Braves are now built around their their starting pitching and when Soroka comes back and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, um, not good because if you look at how baseball is being played now and if you look at the best teams in baseball, it's still ultimately where does your team fall in WRC plus? Where are you? And if the Braves offense falls off a cliff and they take a step back, they don't sign Ozuna and they have to play a lot more young guys and NCRT has to play way too many games then they're not real contenders. And I think the Braves might be a little bit too comfortable with where they were last year and just the way they lost and they should have beat the Dodgers and all that. We don't have to rehash all that, but the NL is tough and the NL just got better this offseason at the top. And the Braves, if you had to do a pecking order, they're firmly behind the Padres. They're firmly behind the Dodgers. And we'll see what happens with the Cardinals, but I, I think the NL East is going to be extremely competitive and they need to understand that like, hey, every year is not guaranteed with Freeman. Every year is not guaranteed with this group. You might as well do everything you can to maximize your window, even if you it's coming about faster than you thought. Is that fair, Max? Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's like with ev- with all of these negotiations, you can rationalize why they shouldn't go to the extra year or the extra X million, right? With Ozuna, um, last year is a little bit of an outlier in his career, right? Um, and, and I think um, y- you can rationalize why you wouldn't want to go several years on a guy who's turning 30 uh, who doesn't really, um, you know, is not a guy you want to stick in left field every day if you can avoid it. Um, and, and you can make these these rationalizations. But in the big picture, it's like you have this core here that can absolutely win a World Series. Um, and so for, for a fan perspective, it's like how can you maximize the guys around this core to give yourself the best chance to win a world series. Um, and in year in year out, it just feels like they are making decisions, um, to prohibit that rather than to just say, screw it, let's go for it. And I think sort of in the macro, it's like, yeah, just pay Ozuna, just get Ozuna in here. You need him to protect Freddie. You need, you know, you need that. Um, and so I, I think this is an example in which the Braves probably said, Here's where we're willing to go. You're welcome to go out in the market and look what's out there. Um, and slowly Ozuna's coming back toward the Braves. And I think that's just probably in the best interest of, of both of them. Garrett, what do you think? I mean, I, I completely agree with you. Uh, they, they need bats. I, I think they, I mean, Marcelo Zuna would be a great touch. But one thing that the Atlanta Braves wore last year was Marcelo Zuna, his, sur- his huge surge last year, plus Adam Duvall. And I think that those are just two players who you didn't really expect to have that offensive explosion that they did later in the season. Um, I mean, when the when those two guys are playing their best baseball alongside Ronald Acuna, who's consistently pretty pretty solid. I mean, obviously very solid. Uh, and then Freddie Freeman, who was an MVP candidate. But really, the two the two guys who really made that middle of the lineup go, and, and plus Travis Darno, were those guys. So the Braves, what they need to do is go and continue to put bats in this lineup, people who can drive in runs because you hit you hit it. I mean, they need to score runs because the, the starting rotation has gotten significantly better. And I think that was the big missing piece for this team last year. And I think they have that finally in place. Now you have to go back and make sure that that offense is going to sustain itself and stay 
what it was last year, or at least just take a tiny step back. Yeah. Not a massive step back, but as it would take with Marcelo Zuna leaving. I think it'd be a gigantic step back if we go into next year with Pache and Enciarte in the outfield. And Austin Riley in the third baseman. You just can't do mm-hmm. that. And that's I a slap in the agree. face of the fans. I really think that's a full-on slap in the totally. face of the fans. Um, yeah, because we're ready to mix it up again. Yeah. <laughs> you can't do that without Marcelo Zuna, right? <laughs> 100%. 100%. Um, Will Muschamp returning to Georgia, close with Kirby Smart as an analyst. Um Garrett, are you surprised that he will not be making forty to fifty thousand dollars like the typical analyst does um, at a school? That he will actually be paid somewhere north of three hundred thousand dollars for his uh, assistance this year? <laughs> <laughs> See, I think I think this is just the epitome of Kirby Smart trying to play copycat to uh, Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide. I mean, this is exactly what he did with David, not David Bryan, excuse me, Bill O'Brien. Um, I got my O'Briens mixed up, but. Uh, that's what he's doing with, with Bill O'Brien. I mean, like, he brought him in. He's the offensive coordinator. He just, he just picks up people from along the way, and he just plugs them in this random spot. And that's kind of what he's doing with Will Muschamp right here. Um, he's just going to come in. This is, hey, this is, hey, settle down, breathe, and then you can go on and move on to your next job. And, and, and Kirby Smart, Will Muschamp, they're longtime friends. I mean, they, these guys played together back in the 90s. Uh, they both played on that defense um, back in, like, the mid-90s, back when Mike Bobo was the starting quarterback. And uh, they coached together at Valdosta State, I believe, and they were also on the LSU staff together. Uh, so these guys have a history, and they both know defense. They're both damn good coaches on the defensive side of the football, both great recruiters too. So I think that this can only be a good thing because, I mean, Will Muschamp, keep him as far away from an offense as possible. Mm. But when you put him on defense, Magic happens, and he's been very successful on the defensive side of the football at just about every single stop that he's been. Coach Boom is very effective at coaching a defense, and I think only good things can come out of this. I love the move. Max, what do you think? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, there's there's uh, tremendous value in, in trying to become the uh, the coaching rehab uh, spot like Alabama's done. I mean, Alabama can pull any coordinator it wants basically in the entire sport every single year. Um, and that, you know, boosts recruiting, that boosts everything. Um, it, it's interesting to me that Muschamp um, would want to do this. Um, I, I, I guess it's not, you know, that surprising, but I, I thought he was a guy who would get looks for high-profile coordinator spots right away because, um, you know, he's got, a, he's got a nice track record as a defensive coach, as Garrett was saying. And, um, you know, I thought there were, there were people up in Ann Arbor who thought he'd be a good, a good fit uh, for the defensive coordinator spot there. Um, I maybe wasn't one of them, but I, I, you know, I think there's no harm for Georgia. That's for sure. And for Muschamp, um, I think it's an interesting move that, that, uh, you know, will pay off. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Chipper getting the assistant head coaching job, uh, another assistant to the assistant, uh, not a real hitting coach. He will not be traveling with the team and all that, but he will help out a couple hours before, um, Every game, it seems like at home. Uh, what do we What do we think about Chipper returning in this in this role? And that the Braves now have like three hitting coaches, which I guess the more the merrier. Um, Max, what do you think? Yeah, no harm in having him around, right? Um, I think you know sometimes it's hard for for media to be able to tell like who's going to be a good coach versus you know who was just a good player who's able to communicate this stuff. Um, I was able to interview Chipper a few years back when I was when I was at the AJC, um, and he was just you know as, as personable as you'd expect, and very able to um, communicate clearly, sort of um, in, in a way that that is different from most coaches, I think. And so I, I think that's 
the first thing you look for in a coach, right, is someone who's able to communicate. Um, and he was a hell of a hitter. So there's, there's nothing wrong with the Braves having him around in whatever capacity, whatever assistant um, that he is right now. Garrett, what do you think? Uh, I'd say there's something meaningful for to have. Like, if you have a, a guy who's been there, done that, a guy who was consistently a 300 hitter throughout the entire course of his career, some guy who who was the only switch hitter to hit over 300 ever in the history of baseball. I mean, there, there's something about that that you want to have around your team. I know Ozzie Albies is absolutely licking his chops over the chance of having Chipper Jones come in and, teach, and coach him up as a switch hitter. Um, and, and really, I mean, but if you really want to look at his track record, I, I, think, I, I think last year, last January, I believe, he actually took some time and, and worked one-on-one with Austin Riley. And Austin Riley was having, as you guys know, he was having a lot of issues his rookie year. After that huge first month, he couldn't hit a slider. He couldn't hit, the, hit one of those breaking balls. And it, it just, his game just fell off. And he worked with Chipper back in January of, of 2020. And you saw the fruits of that labor. And Austin Riley looked like a different hitter. He, he made a, a couple little changes in his swing. And honestly, he was a better player just all-around better player. And having a guy like Chipper Jones around, I think, played a key role in that. And honestly, I love Chipper Jones. He was my favorite player when I was a kid. I mean, born and raised right here in Atlanta. Anybody who's a Braves fan as a kid back in the early of the late 90s, early two, and throughout the 2000s, loved Chipper Jones. Chipper Jones is an Atlanta Brave, and the Atlanta Braves are Chipper Jones. And I think that this is just a fantastic move. 19 years with the Braves, I, I, I love it. I just love this. Um. Yeah, I think it's fine. It's just the more the merrier. It is interesting just to see how many different guys get called back for these these roles, and I think it it cannot hurt. Um, last thing, and we'll wrap up here, guys. Matt Ryan, uh, the consummate professional, was asked about this. These questions are just awkward. Like, what do you want these people to say when you pose these kind of questions to them? And Matt Ryan obviously was going to get asked about um what would happen if um you know he got uh, the team drafted a quarterback at number four which seems like it's a very distinct possibility and he said quote part of being a team is you're going to be a good teammate and help where you can and you also have the personal responsibility of trying to be the best player you can be whatever happens at that spot we're all professionals we all understand how this goes uh you're not going to be best friends with everybody shout out to brett Favre, and Aaron rogers but part of being a good teammate is competing and pushing people to be the absolute best they can be your job as an individual is to be the best player you can be and find a roster spot regardless of who's drafted or where they're drafted but my personality is not to be standoffish with anybody else um i thought that was a pretty solid answer and he was i think being very pretty frank in terms of matt ryan because matt ryan being frank is not really his mo um he I, it's just got to be weird for guys like this where it's like, I'm, I know I've still got a lot of good ball left, but I also understand we're going through a new change and like all these different new faces. And like, I've just went four and 12 and I'm not guaranteed a spot. And it's a lot for him to think about his best friend in the league just got traded to the Rams. Um, I think this is all a lot for Matt and he is the best quarterback in Falcons history. And you want to see this end well, but he's having to, think and he doesn't really know what they're going to do and i'm sure they could tell him one thing and uh, change their minds a month from now like i i don't feel great about the situation that he finds himself in and i I feel bad and i empathize with him um garrett what do you make of his comments i mean he's the consummate professional like you said i mean it's an awkward question both for jeff schultz who asked the question and for matt ryan who answered the question 
but it's a question that needs to be asked because, I mean, it's, all, it's weighing on everybody's minds because we're right now the Atlanta Falcons are at crossroads. Do we want to continue to, to play and, and compete for the playoffs right now with the, the core that we have? Can we still do that? Or should we just push to the future and, and look and see what we can do in the next couple of years? Um, so I, it's, it's just an awkward spot. I think Arthur Smith is going to be coming in. He doesn't have a relationship with Matt Ryan. He's going to have one year. This is his year. If he comes out and I, I see them drafting a quarterback at some point throughout this draft, I mean, they have to because Matt Shaw is not going to be coming back. And I don't necessarily trust Kirk Banker to be that backup quarterback. However, this is, this is the do or make or break for Matt Ryan. This is your year. You have to get it done this year. And you're going to have these awkward questions asked throughout the year. I mean, it's going to be similar to what happened up in Philadelphia with Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts. Uh, there are going to be these questions. If you draft a quarterback in the first or second round, he's going to be sitting there looming over your shoulder like Aaron Rodgers was to Brett Favre. I mean, this is the story of the league. You have an older guy like Joe Montana, but when he, when he had Steve Young looking over his shoulder. I mean, this has happened time and time again in the National Football League, and not everybody's Tom Brady with Jimmy Garoppolo where the backup gets shipped off somewhere else because Tom Brady's Tom Brady. So it's just that awkward period and every, that every single franchise has with their long-term franchise quarterback. And Matt Ryan answered this question the best way that he could, and I applaud him for that. And I'm excited to see what happens with everything because there's going to be a, a, there gonna be a lot of stories coming out of this season. Max, what do you think? Yeah, um, I mean, it's just really not in Matt Ryan's M.O. to be all uh, Aaron Rodgers, Jordan Love, you know. I, I don't think, um, not you know, basically context clues on Aaron Rodgers, Jordan Love. He hasn't really said anything to that effect. But I don't think if the Falcons draft someone at four that Matt Ryan will have anonymous sources in, you know, the AJC or whatever saying, um, you know, that really pissed me off or, you know, all of these, like, subtle shots. And, and I think... It was a pretty frank answer from him, um, if that's ever possible, for Matt Ryan, in the sense that it's it's just human nature to think, um, you know, the writing's on the wall there. If they take Zach Wilson at four, if they take Justin Fields at four, um, Trey Lance, whatever, the writing's on the wall there. And so you, you sort of have a, two options. You could put your head down and, and ignore the guy and be kind of cold, or you could embrace him and build him up, um, knowing that that's probably not, that's probably his job at, your job that he is taking next year. Um, and I just think that it's, it's in Matt Ryan's DNA to eventually pick the second option. Um, I would, however, like to, you know, hear that answer with some truth serum and to see how he really feels about sort of being pushed to the side after, um, you know, arguably being the best player in franchise history. Um, but we're not at that point yet. Um, and he doesn't need to answer that yet. And so I think, you know, for that question coming now, I, I think that's, that's exactly the answer you would expect Matt Ryan to give. I think so. All right. Well, that's all I've got today, guys. Uh, is there anything else, uh, Garrett, uh, that you would like to add before we wrap up here? I just want to see the Hawks get a win tomorrow. Mm. <laughs> that's really all I care about. <laughs> that's the biggest thing that I'm focusing on. And, and, man, I cannot wait for spring training to kick off in about a week or two. It's crazy that we're already uh, back to baseball, but I've missed it uh, Time flies, man. Time flies fast. The sports calendar slows for no man. <laughs> no, no. But I will say... I don't know if you guys are like this, but I love football in the fall, but like there is some sort of relief for me of not having my weekends be restricted to so much football. Like oh, I, yeah. I, I love well, that. It's a yeah. way I need that break. Do you all have picks for this weekend. Do you have picks for Sunday. I do. Max, who do you got you do. on Sunday? No, I got the Chiefs. I 
10. 10? Well, see, I I actually agree that if the Chiefs win, I think the Chiefs win by multiple scores. But I think if the Bucks win, it's by like three or less. So if the game is within like five to four um, late, then I'm going to be like, oh no, the Bucks, Brady's going to do this again. But if it goes the other way, <laughs> I think the Chiefs win by multiple scores. Would be my guess. Yeah, I think I'm going to roll with the Bucks. I mean, I'm, I mm. think I'm going to be cheering for the Chiefs. I, I don't. I, I oh, I respect the hell out of Tom Brady, but man, dude, come on, <laughs> move aside for a little bit. I mean. Um, but I, I, I just don't want to bet against Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. I mean, I, I just, I mean, he's been there ten times, and I think that matters. Um, but I think it all hinges on the health of guys like Antonio Brown, and and if those guys come back, then I mean, this this Chiefs offense is, is electric, but so is this Bucks offense, and I think this is one of the big off, the offenses that can keep pace. And if we have the similar Chiefs kind of gas for one quarter, like they had against the Bills and every other game that they played, seemingly. Um, then I, I don't know if they'll be able to recover from that the way they have been against these other teams. Now, I have said that the, the last two weeks, um, like, well, at least the last uh, game against the Bills. But, I mean, I'm just not going to bet against Tom Brady. I'm going to take Tom Brady and the Bucks by four, three, four points. Interesting. I'm going to say Chiefs 37, Bucks 24. Wow. Ooh, I think okay. it, I think we're going to hit the thirties. I think it's going to be the first of the thirty. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited. I I want to see the uh, the barber come out with Bucks gear. That would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that would be my favorite Tom Brady ending that he paid the uh, barber to make sure that uh, as long as that offensive lineman still has half his haircut. That's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> That's an underrated part. That's that. what I, I am nervous about. Eric Fisher not playing for the Chiefs. So I don't know how much time the yeah. Mahomes will have to do a lot of Mahomesy that's stuff. That's going to be but tough. Yeah. I, it, yeah that, it's going to be Bucks fun. Pass rush. That Bucks pass rush is going to be back there trying to make as much havoc. Not having Eric Fisher is going to be – that could be a big big play for the for the Bucks too. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, tell the good folks where we can follow you and keep up with your, your work on social media, Max. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Max underscore Markovich, M-A-R-C-O-V-I-T-C-H. I would like to say, just so we can bring this podcast full circle, mm-hmm. that I, un- unlike Chase, do not harbor any desire for um, Trey Young to miss a month. Oh. I think that would be it. That would be good. <laughs> I'm really hoping he stays healthy. Um, but other than that, yeah, that's, that's, that's all. To be clear, not rooting for injury. Not rooting for injury. All I am I suggesting... Not, all I am suggesting. Are you rooting for losses? I am rooting for <laughs> the development of DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish because the Hawks' entire next five to ten years depends on what they are, not what Trey is right now. And I'm just concerned that Trey's 36% usage rate is not going anywhere and that I'm never going to be able to see Cam and DeAndre develop before they're too old and then they're just both Andrew Wigginsy. Like I just that is my biggest ooh, concern. Ooh, don't say that. But that's what I'm Only saying. That's why I Only one of them's on an Andrew Wiggins path. Only one of them's on an Andrew Wiggins path. I don't want either the, of them the to be on that path. Clearly better. I don't want to be I on see, that path. I see, I, I see one as, as an Andrew Wiggins and one as a, the potentially young Kawhi Leonard. So let's let's just hope that uh Jalen Brown the young Kawhi Jalen Leonard. Brown's the name. I mean, I would ooh. love Jalen Brown. He's a bona fide superstar now. But I just I ooh. think that there's just not not enough not enough oxygen. I just I want. I, I understand that if Trey is gone for a month and a half, we are not making the playoffs and they'll fall off a cliff. But I just I don't yeah, know. Yeah, there's only one the, basketball. 
I just don't know the path. I, I but I'm also just a psycho and enjoy the Hawks significantly more. If it was Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter leading the offense for two months, I would very much Max, enjoy I that. Think we're, I think we're talking to a masochist here, so I don't know what this. Is. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll have to take this up another day because I just, I just don't, you know. It's a discussion for another day, but you know, I'm hoping Trey Young stays healthy. That's that's my opinion. Good God, Max is trying to get me in so much trouble. Um, Garrett, how do we find you on Twitter? Um, I'm at gchapatl uh, on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me there. And, uh, yeah, and, and also at 99 on the game right here in Atlanta, Georgia. All right, go do that. Guys, thank you, as always, for the time. I greatly appreciate it. We'll be back next week. Jay, yeah. pleasure. With, Thanks, with, a na- with a name. Oh, I actually have a name, but we'll talk about it off air. All right. All right. <laughs> we'll keep everybody else waiting. All right, we're back on Volcanic Takes with Trey Wallace and Ryan Shumpert. Ryan, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm doing doing pretty well. Appreciate you having me on. Good to have you. Good to have you back, man. Uh, Trey Wallace is also here, as I mentioned. Trey, good morning, good afternoon. I don't know what it what qualifies noon. Is it good morning or good afternoon? Either way, how are you? Yeah, I'll take good afternoon. What's up, guys? I hope y'all are. It's uh, it's, uh... And we're wrapping everything up, so it, it's good. Everything's good. Everything is good, unless you're talking to Tennessee fans about the state of the basketball and football program. Then it's like uh, the sky is actually falling. Um, Trey, wh- what are you getting more um, more calls or more concerned about? Is it football or the basketball team just being a, a gigantic headache? Which are you getting more of right now? Yeah, you know, it's crazy. I got three calls this morning, and two of them were about football. One was about basketball. Um, I. I, I still think the basketball team's going to be okay. I just think that they have to do – somebody's going to have to step up and be that guy. You know, and I know we'll talk about it, 15 points every night and them not have to, you know, try to spread the love around as much. Somebody's going to have to step Football-wise, <laughs> that's uh, disciple trying to put together his defensive staff. His offensive staff is pretty much – you know, kind of in place, but um, but I would say that people are nervous going to do on that defensive side of the football, and that's what's going to win you a championship. You know, way, 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 way down the offense, but um, got to have a defensive coordinator, man. Well, let's start there. I think that's what everybody wants to know is what's the latest on that. Everyone's seemingly turning it down, and then the weird stuff with Kevin Steele. So Randy Shannon's for sure not coming, correct? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't see Randy Shannon being involved in Tennessee D two like an audible. Yeah. Okay. So who are you hearing? Who is who should Tennessee fans expect, or not even expect, just to watch out for as the um, likely choice um, to run Heupel? I think a, I think a character like Zach Arnett kind of fell off after a couple of days, um, you, you saw what happened with, with Louisville's DC who pretty much turned it into a, a you know, kind of a pay raise yeah. for him. I think you look at somebody, you know, the, the name Matt house has been put out there a good, a, a good amount by people. Um, he, he'll be coaching the, the chiefs in the, in the Super Bowl. Uh, somebody that was a defensive coordinator at Kentucky, uh, in the last five years, somebody that you know, like coach, We've all seen Kentucky defense. They've had some pretty stud players over the last five years. 
that's somebody to keep an eye on. I, I'm, I'm expecting Heifel to maybe come out of left field, but it's kind of hard to put names on it. Um, mm-hmm. Just because we've had a couple people quietly turn it down. And I think that's the big thing. Once you've got a defensive coordinator in your building, as we talk right now, probably going over film tape of, of next year's opponents, but it just does it for one instead of rain. Could be wrong. Why do you – so for my text thread with my uncles um, who are just trying to wrap their heads around why Kevin Steele is not going to be the D.C. next year, even for a one-year thing because they paid it, why is Kevin Steele not going to stick around? I don't know if it's him not wanting, but if it's here's okay, here's the best way to look at it is, is I was talking with somebody tonight mm-hmm. um, at the or this this morning at the university. It's more or less you've had a guy that has been a veteran defensive coordinator sitting in your building now for over three weeks. Yes, the fact that we're starting to hear guys are quote turning it down. That make you know that that's pretty obvious in my opinion that that Heupel and Steele have had a conversation and Heupel's trying to go out and find his own DC. Um, you've got a good backup plan. Kevin Steele is Kevin. Look, Kevin Steele is a is a a dynamic defensive guru. Okay, we all know what he did down at Auburn. He tried to get the job. The boosters and him tried to get together, take over Gus, and then the president no wait a minute we're not making you the head coach um i just think philip fulmer i don't know if heupel and danny white like the whole we're bringing in somebody you know during the middle of this investigation right with jeremy Pruitt's getting fired we're bringing in this guy you know maybe he takes over as a coach uh, which he did for a short time being uh, but i don't know if they like a previous staff placing a defensive coordinator on their staff, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Ryan, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's Trey really hit a lot of it on the head. It's pretty clear at this point that I don't think that's Heupel's first choice. He'd rather go in another direction. Now, the question is to me is he's gotten turned down by a few people. If he gets turned down by a few more people, what happens? Is there any interest from Steele to stay on, or is he just simply kind of punching the the ticker every day to come in and just do what he needs to do to get paid. I think that's the question. Um, But like Trey said, it it seems pretty clear that that's that's not the direction Heupel wants to go in. But if more people turn him down, I I wonder at what point you you say, well, we do have a veteran defense coordinator here. At what point is the best option overrule not wanting to have someone from someone else's staff or have someone kind of forced upon you in the awkward manner of what all this has been? Well, Trey, what well, do you, what do you think? I want to oh, yeah, throw something on Ryan, too. Yeah, Ryan as well. People seem to forget this. He has a buyout from a contract with Tennessee. He can't walk away from Tennessee in that money because then I'd be like, wait a minute, you walked away from a perfectly healthy job where they were paying you a good amount of money that was offsetting your buyout down here. So what are the implications are if you walk away from Tennessee and you just say, I'm done. Okay. How's that going to affect your buyout at Auburn? Because Auburn could say, wait a minute, 
we're not gonna we're not gonna pay you this amount of money. You walked away from a job at Tennessee. Why should we have to suffer from that? So I think that's why you've seen Kevin Steele kind of sitting around as long as he's in a game of chicken. Who's gonna bite first? And and, and if Steele's gonna be gone from Tennessee, you can make sure of it. He's gonna want to be fired from Tennessee, not him walking out the door by himself. Hmm. Do you think he wants it? Do you think he's just hanging out collecting checks, or do you actually think he would like to stay on with Hypo? Because that's, he's close with Pruitt, and he came on for Pruitt, came on for Fulmer. Um, or do you think it would just be kind of like one of the – do you think him and Pruitt have talked about it? Like if they're just like, hey, if they want you to stay on, you should just stay on? If I'm Jeremy Pruitt, I'm not talking to anybody in that building. You better be on a burner phone. <laughs> um, but, I mean, um, I – I don't. I don't know. That's a hard question to answer because the more you look into this, the more that it feels like the one that made the hire. And then Jeremy Pruitt was like, "Okay, yeah, let's go with that," because things kind of played out so quick. So I, you know, don't really know the relationship between Hypel and Steele. And you have to imagine too, the way Hypel runs his offense would it work? The way that they, you know, they try to switch it up a little bit, but mainly it's four three, kind of switching off into a three four every now and then. But would that work with what Hypo's trying to do? I don't know. I think that's a decision that that Hypo would have to make, and you know, and if it comes down to it, if Kevin Steele wants his money, he might have to be like a linebacker coach or something. So it, I don't know. It, it's all crazy. Tennessee just wastes money. They just burn money. So what's another nine hundred thousand dollars? <laughs> um. Who from the portal do you think has the best chance of returning, Trey? Mm. Um, so, Henry Toto is doing online classes in Tennessee. Been doing it for – he's working host. I know Oregon, USC, and Texas have been in con- constant contact with Henry trying to get him to um, uh, come to their schools on the West Coast and then, mm. and then to Texas. Um Crouch is on campus right now. Crouch is Crouch is working working out per se. I think Crouch will end up going through the spring practice period, and then if he doesn't like it, he'll make a decision. Spring, which I go, I think you're going to see for a lot of folks. Um, I don't expect I right now. I don't expect Jameer Johnson to come back. I don't think Tennessee needs Jameer Johnson to come back. I'm not going to come out here and hate on a young man. I'm not going to, but you know. You want to talk about a kid that was just not really good for the atmosphere of the team at times, it would be Jameer Johnson. And I think he would do good somewhere else. Um, I think it would be boys. Um, so when you really look at it, I mean, there's not much left. Because Key Lawrence is already gone. Wine Day's gone. Eric Gray's gone. So really it comes down to can they get one of the two back in Henry or Crouch? And – the longer this thing plays out and Henry doesn't go somewhere else, which dropping ad dates are pretty much out the door now. Like you would have to you do Tennessee online classes through spring and then, you know, maybe end up somewhere first semester summer is kind of, but um, just keep an eye out on Henry Toto. If he comes back to campus next week or the week after that, it's a very, maybe he goes through spring kind of figures out his options. So, you know, waiting on him, Crouch is already here. Ryan, who would you – I mean, obviously it's Toa Toa, but do you think uh, Crouch is someone to, 
Tennessee could really use back because it was a it was an up and down season for him. Um, did did you like what you saw from him last year? Well, I, I wouldn't really say I like what I saw from him last year. I don't think he had a great season, but he's really bad in coverage. The, he, he was like in my in notes. Coverage. He is, but it, I just I struggle with it just because I'm like, it, how much of this was his fault? Like he should not have been on these assignments. Like this is this is bad. And Alabama and teams like that were just like, oh yeah, we're gonna put him on uh, one of our faster guys, and he just he can't hang. And it's not really his fault. He's just physically limited in pass uh, on the passing game. But I, I don't know. I felt bad for him on that front. But uh, continue. Yeah, and it's you know certainly he's a guy who was became a big recruit from his ability as a running back in high school and hadn't played a whole lot on the defensive side of the ball and. So obviously an outside linebacker for most of his freshman year and, and really just looked look lost in coverage whenever he got into it. And so obviously I think he can get, get better in that, but I think he's important to get back just because they need bodies. I mean, you've had so many linebackers, both outside and inside linebackers, enter the transfer portal this offseason. If not, you're re- if he doesn't come back and you don't get Toa Toa back, you're really going to be relying on freshmen or you know the Memphis trio, uh, Whitehaven trio, I guess, from last year with Bryson Easton and French and McDonald, but I guess McDonald's probably a little bit more of a safety. Um, recruiting seemed to end up okay. <laughs> oh, I mean, recruiting seemed to end up okay by all accounts, right, Trey? I mean, yeah, I, I think people, I think people looked at February you know, signing them and they're like, oh, okay, Tennessee had a JUCO offensive lineman that's going to play his season in JUCO and then come to Tennessee. That guy's body is going to be worn out uh, the time he gets to Knoxville. So I, you know, and you're also risking injury, by the way. Um, but here's where Tennessee's recruiting class is going to hit a problem. In the next week or so, Dylan Brooks and Cody Brown are going to come off the board. Uh, they're going to get their NLIs released from Tennessee. Uh, you can tell about Cody Brown went to my high school. You think he's out? Cody Brown's not happening. Uh, no, he is He is the one that he has been asking out of his NLI as well. Uh, if you go look back and look, he's the one that I think he put out half Cody or those lines. Yeah, so I, I don't think, um, as of right now, I don't think Cody Brooks is Tennessee, and I don't think Dylan Brooks is going to be playing for Tennessee. And the, the crappy part of Tennessee's situation is go ahead and release these kids. Don't make him and just have to say things. The coach is not there anymore. The assistant coaches aren't there anymore. Everybody that recruited you is gone. So if these guys want to go somewhere else, don't hold it against them. Just go ahead and release them. So I think that's going to be a hit once, you know, I think Tennessee, if you take those two off the board, I don't know. I mean, maybe 30 in the rankings to end the year because you're taking a five-star and a four-star off the board. So I don't know. It's going to be tough for them. Ryan, are you, what do you think about that? I think they did good, though. Yeah, I mean, it could be worse. It could be well, USC from last year. Like, it could be the USC situation from last year, and it's not that. I actually um, did a little bit, because I was looking at, you know, the, the official rankings the other day and was noticing, obviously, Brooks and Brown were still on there. And, but I, I took, did a little 247 class calculator and took them out. Tennessee was still, I think, about 22nd nationally and seventh in the SEC, and they're kind of a beneficiary of obviously the turnover at South Carolina and Auburn happened at different times, so they weren't really able to keep their class together the way Tennessee was through the early signing date, and obviously Tennessee has two players now that won out, but for the most part, all those guys that got in 
still plan on being at Tennessee. So I think they kind of did survive that a little bit better, and they were a bit of a beneficiary of the turnover at South Carolina and Auburn in, in the rankings ways, not actually with the players, but in how things, the perception and how things are going to look with the how things turn out in final rankings. Um, Trey, what do you know about the new uh, director of recruiting that uh, Tennessee pulled from Mizzou? <laughs> that um, that you're looking at somebody that's going to try to come in. You know, Austin Thomas is kind of like the GM down at LSU now, or mm-hmm. was, and then uh, uh, Lane Kiffin's got his guy. It, it, his name is slipping my head at the moment. But I, I think Tennessee is going to benefit by somebody be, already being in the Southeastern Conference. And I, I think that the relationship, I think that's going to be beneficial to what Tennessee's trying to do. Tennessee had, I mean, guys, I mean, Tennessee had to get rid of their whole recruiting staff. I mean, there, there's, there's maybe like an assistant or two that was over there. So you're bringing in a whole new staff. I mean, we're talking five, ten guys, and, you, you know, you try to get more, you know, director of on-campus recruiting, director of personnel, you know, assistant director of recruiting. So there's a lot that goes into it, but I think Tennessee will be just fine when it comes to that standpoint. At least you have somebody with SEC experience, not somebody that's coming in, you know, out of the WAC conference or, you know, even Pac-12, something like that on the West Coast. Somebody that knows what's going on. So, yeah, that's key. Ryan, what do you think? Yeah, I think Trey really hit the most important thing on the head. See, the official, I guess nothing's official, but what they know is coming to the staff, all Central Florida guys. Heupel, certainly not known for his recruiting prowess. Just getting a guy that understands the SEC, has has ties in the Southeast, I, I think is very important and also something he needs to do. And his position coach hires on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Trey, so we, Ryan and I were talking last week about the quarterback situation with Hendon and Harrison and Caden. Um, my sentiment, and I think, uh, Ryan agreed with this was that Hendon would, should be considered the favorite going into the summer and the spring for sure. And that it's probably like Harrison is someone to monitor and like what he ends up doing. Cause Caden seems like a more natural fit for what Hypo wants to do on offense. Um, are you... Or what do you think ultimately happens at the quarterback position in the spring and summer? And do you think Harrison Bailey is someone who will be with the Vols long term? Hmm. Uh, man, if, if Harrison Bailey was going to be the future, it's crazy to see what a different coaching staff does on a dime. Um, I, I think the better opportunity goes to Hooker or Salter. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just, the way. South is going to be interesting because how much can the young man pick up real quick? Um, and even Hooker, but Hooker's been around a college program, you know. So, not saying that they run the same, you know, Fuente and they run the same type of offense or anything. But I think you're going to need the the mobile quarterback. Yeah, uh, Harrison Bailey, to me, not that type of quarterback. More of a drop back. Yeah, and get out of the pocket every now and then. So, uh, I, I would agree. I think that Hooker might have a, a, a little bit of a head start on this thing. But don't count out Sus till I throw another one at you. Then I think they're going to make some packages for him. Oh, Brian Maurer. Brian Maurer was recruited by Hypo when he was at UCF. Brian Maurer has that feel of a quarterback that can do certain things that Hypo would want done in a fast-paced offense. It's more or less to me, and this is not a shock, can the kids stay healthy? 
And maybe that's somebody you look at. Um, if you'd asked me a month ago, is Brian Mauer going to be on this, this 21 spring roster? I'd have told you you're crazy. Uh, but maybe a new coaching staff, you know, a little rejuvenation to, you know, maybe Mauer can do something with it. So I, I, I think it's going to be a three-legged softer, you know, and, and maybe Mauer. I just don't see Harrison Bailey in this offense. and I, I don't either. I'd be wrong. And that's why I just think it's going to be interesting to see what happens there um, and how long he does stick around and if he gets a real shot at competing in the spring. So either way, it should be should be fun. Um, basketball, quickly. Uh, so the KU game was the most fun I've had watching Tennessee in a while. And then the old Miss game happened. And now we're just we're going back and forth. I This whole season's been kind of crazy and the annoyance of just being so elite defensively while just being so hot and cold offensively. Um, Ryan, what do you make of the Kansas game and then the follow-up with the Ole Miss game? Well, like you said, two completely opposite performances. And I think after the Kansas game, just as well as the team shot, it was kind of a, they played great, but let's let's wait and see if this is for real or this is just hot shooting. And I think you saw they still have a lot of problems offensively against Ole Miss. And I think the lack of a true point guard was really shown when they went to the 1-3-1. Muscovy, Victor Bailey both really struggled against that. And like Trey was kind of saying in the opening, they just have no one to go to. Multiple five, six-minute scoring droughts in that game. I think t- almost ten minutes in the final ten minutes, nine, eleven minutes of that game without a field goal. They just have no one to go to. And Pons and Fulkerson were shooting a ball pretty solid the other night. I think finished 8-14. Eight, they were 8-12 of 12 or 7-12 of 12 with 13 minutes to go, and then they took two shots the rest of the game. So there's really no one this team can turn to right now, at least with any consistency. And as things go, they're just going to have to fill things out on offense and, and try to do the little things well, try to rebound better, try to shoot the free throws better, turn the ball over less to kind of carry them and, and win some close games when their offense struggles because I just think that's going to be the reality for a good amount of the games. Trey, what do you think? I think Tennessee's got themselves a problem in the paint. I mean, and Ole Miss outscored Tennessee 30-10 to 10 in the paint the other night. And, and, man, you just can't have that. Look at what Tennessee has to do with driving the basket. Um, get to the rim, get fouled, get to the free throw line, try to make a shot. And that even goes, you know, with down there in the paint. I don't, I don't think Fulkerson 100% healthy. Um, but I, I, I still think that, he can be that guy that can hit that, that eight, 12 foot pond. He's got to step up. Here's the main problem. Tennessee, Tennessee has eight guys on that roster that can score points, but Tennessee does not have one right now, the game and score 15 to 20 points. Somebody that you can rely on every single night to score 15 to 20 points. That's where Tennessee's problem lies. And Jaden Springer can do it. Keon Johnson can do it. Um, I think Triple Joss is the type of guy that, that could get rolling. But when you look at it, you need Ponds defensively. You need focusing on the, on, the, on the post, go up. You need them to take shots. He had five field goal attempts in that game against from your, one of your leaders on this basketball team, uh, Tennessee. They made two field goals after that ball game. That is atrocious. So Tennessee, they showed you what they can do when they can hit shots against Kansas. And then they showed you what they do when they get kind of timid 
in their shot miss. And I think Saturday, I think the rest of the season presents an opportunity where you figure out who's going to be that that you can rely on. Because Tennessee needs it. They, they, I think they had four players in double digits against Kansas. Tennessee's got to have that on a night-in, night-out basis where you're getting two to three guys in double digits and then you get some hard work uh, from your other three coming off the bench. Because I think Olivier is taking in a sicky spot, and you've got to have him defense, especially if Pons comes out of the game. I just think this Tennessee squad is a lot better than what they're putting on the court. Um, and, and I can see them making a run here towards the end. But, man, they got to come together as a team. they got to figure out who's going to be the guy to make these shots, who's going to be the guy to drop 15 tonight. And if they get that figured out, if they can get it figured out soon enough, some magic out of the squad. If not, this is going to be a year that's wasted. Yeah. I mean, I think it's Keon. And he was doing that a lot in the Alabama game without Springer. And having to do a lot more, and he was bringing the ball up a lot more. And I don't know why Brick Barnes does not give him more opportunities to be a lead ball handler. Like Vescovi being, I guess, an off-ball guy just doesn't work for him, and he needs the minute. So it's like Keon has to slide down with Springer and Vescovi in the lineup together. So it's just not a lot of opportunities for him to bring the ball up. But Bailey is not going to be a shot creator. He's always going to be streaky. Triple J is not going to be that guy. Folk, we talked about Pons when he's in the corner threes. That's okay. But, like... It's Keon. Like, I just keep going back where I'm like, he is still the smoothest inside. He's still someone who can draw fouls. And I just, I wonder if it's more of Rick Barnes just has to, like, be like, hey, let Key, like, let Keon bring the ball up. Even if it means Viscovi's going to stand in the corner and be out of the way, you have to start giving him a higher usage and you have to start letting him draw fouls and figure stuff out in the high pick and roll uh, with Fulkerson or Pond or whoever. Um, I, I just I don't think that's something that's happened. I don't think that's what, how Rick Barnes wants to play. It seems like. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would agree. And, yeah, go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, I so said I'd agree. And in, in one thing to me with those two, both Johnson and Springer, if they're, you know, I think getting into the end of the season, hand the ball over to the freshman. Those two guys have to at least take more threes. Springer's just taken seven in conference play. Johnson's taken twelve. I think he's made four of them. Teams aren't respecting their ability to hit jump shots. So if they're going to step up and kind of take the reins of this offense, they need to at least be more able to just shoot them, just have the confidence to shoot them. And you may not make all of them, but you need them to respect that to open up the driving lanes and getting in the paint because that's definitely what both of them do best. But right now I think you're seeing on-ball defenders really kind of sagging off on them a little bit and definitely taking away the, the drive first and allowing them to shoot. And, and they're not shooting it right now. They're They're not going to. They're not going to do that if it's even a little bit contested. Yeah, I, I'm i excited to see what happens on Saturday against Kentucky. Hopefully it's back to what it was last weekend and they take advantage of a bad Kentucky team, which has just been a delight this season. Um, Trey, what can we check out from you this week on the interwebs or on the radio? Yeah, follow me at Fox Sports Knoxville. Uh uh, follow follow me at Trey Wallace underscore. Uh, got a piece that'll be dropping sometime in the next two to three days on the Tennessee investigation. It's ongoing some uh, regarding that, and then uh, have a player profile or two, and then we're on Coach Watch uh, for the next five to six days. I, I think the Tennessee staff will be announced uh, sometime. The, I, I think on Wednesday, Tennessee has a staff. 
announced. Staff will find out, but uh, yeah, continue. I'm driving three to six every day, and uh, yeah, man, just bang your hats. It's all we're doing. There you go, Ryan. What about you? Yeah, you can follow me uh, on Twitter at rshump s c h u m p zero zero. Um, kind of a little bit of everything right here in the heart of basketball season. We'll have a lot of content that at the beacon, and then when Hypel finalizes his staff, we'll have everything you need to know about that. And then also uh, baseball season starting to get going here in a few weeks. So in next week should have a, a couple things on the baseball team and uh, number number sixteen in the preseason. I think a lot of excitement, a lot of good pieces back from. Uh, team that beat number one team in the country last year and when i think 17 and two before sec play was uh, about to start and the, the season got shut down due to COVID. all right i'm excited uh it should be a fun year um guys keep up the great work stay warm because knoxville is apparently like the frozen tundra at this point um so if that could change soon that would be great but either way thank you guys for making the time and uh have a great weekend Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.